so like David said, uh, my name is Anna. I'm from Virginia. Um, and I never thought I would go to seminary in Korea, but uh, this is my second year. And I'm going to tell you guys, it's not easy being a student. You guys agree? Man, there's so, so many tests and papers and projects. And you sit in class like, listening to teachers. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fun at the same time. And I'm so glad to be here uh, with you guys, specifically in this chapel. Um, last year, I spoke twice at KU. And the first place that KU brought me in was this dinky room. And it was so small, like I was right next to Johnny, like, hey, welcome, you know. And then, and then the second place that they invited me to was a, a bigger room. And at the time, we were praying for specifically this, this place. So to come here and to speak here, the place that we were praying for is so cool. I don't know if you guys know, but you guys are so favored by God. This, just by you sitting here in this room, this is a favor of God, a sign that God cares for you, God loves you. Um, so take that as a sign. You being here, don't take it for granted. It's, it's such an awesome blessing that God specifically blessed Emmaus KU with. Uh, so, yeah, just take that for yourself. Um, so I heard that last week uh, you guys had an awesome guest speaker. Uh, how many of you guys were blessed by him last week? Yeah, he he was um, also from Virginia. KU must have this special like bond with Virginians. Um, but he's also from Virginia. We actually went to college together. And yeah, let me just tell you that God is real. For God to change a person like John Parr. <laughs> if you guys knew him back then, you know, like he is not the same person that he is now. Um, and even Eunice, I knew her in Virginia also. Um, and the first time that I met Eunice, I thought, I'm never going to be friends with this girl. She is just too friendly. That, that's, that's honestly my first thought. And when I look at her, I'm like, man, God is real. Now she's overseeing KU. She's campus director. You know, like, I, I look at her. I look at John Park. And um, I even look at myself. You know, me and... In America, my friends will be the first ones to tell you I was dark and I was depressed, but God is real. And you know how I know that God is real? By the ever-changing nature of God. And that is shown by the ever-changing people that is around me. When I see the people around me and how they change and how they're growing and how God is changing them, transforming them, that is how I know that God is real. Because he works in such people like us. And, you know, uh, when I went to college a couple years ago, um, I always entered college thinking, this is going to be the best four years of my life. And a lot of people told me, this is the best four years of your life ever. Did you guys hear that? When you guys enter college, this is going to be the best four years of your life. Have fun, because after that, you're going to have to grow up, you're going to have to be an adult, and it's all going to be downhill from there. You guys hear that? Like, that's what I heard. And I entered college like, oh, really? Then, yeah, let's have fun. You know, that, that's how I entered college. And my, my prime objective was to simply have fun. But, like, you know, when you're in college, you're mad young, right? And then to graduate from college, you're still really young. So to spend those young years 
and say that's the best four years of your life and then afterwards it's not going to be the best, that's kind of sad. How many of you guys want the college to be the best four years of your life? Johnny, really? <laughs> I, you know, like when I look at college, college for me was really fun. Uh, I had tons of fun. I learned a lot. Um, but life now, life these days is like the best time I've had yet. And I know that this is not going to be the best ever, but it's only going to get sweeter and sweeter and sweeter and better. And, you know, I want to kind of encourage you guys as someone that's only a little bit older than you, uh, but to say, you know, college is so good, but to end just there is not, not the full plan that God has for you. Um, and I kind of want to give you a picture, a vision of what you want to be as you guys grow older. You know, what I want my life to get sweeter and better, but I want to grow to be a woman of influence, a woman of character, a woman of grace. And, you know, do you want to live life like that, growing in character, growing in joy, growing in boldness, growing in influence? And if that's the kind of life that you want to live, you know, and when you look at Eunice, when you look at John or myself and how God has changed them again and again, man, the only way that we can keep on growing and live changed lives and to live impactful lives is only one way and one way only. And that is by abiding in God. And I want to kind of unpack that statement for you throughout my sermon. What, what do you mean by abiding in God, by remaining in God? And essentially that means by having a continuous transformation. You know, when God touches you and changes you, uh, I went through many times in my life where God, God touched me powerfully. And then after that, I slowly started regressing back to the state that I was. Week after week, I grew up going to church, going to Sunday school, going to Bible, Bible school. And then still, it, it was, Bible was boring to me. Like praying was hard after two minutes, you know, like that's, that, it became like a task and a work to me. Until I met the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit encountered me, that's when meeting God was fun. Praying was fun. Uh, talking to him was fun. But all of that didn't just stop in a one-time, bam, encounter. But it was a continuous encounter. A continuous transformation that kept happening again and again. So, um, yeah, that's the title of my sermon, Continual Transformation. So let me pray for us before I begin. Yeah, God, I just thank you so much for uh, bringing us together as campus, uh, Korea University. I thank you, Father, for people here that cleared up their schedules to come. And I ask, Father, that as we sit here, may you come and encounter us with your presence. Father, we pray that you will be worshipped and glorified today. And I just declare that the words that will go out will be going out onto uh, good soil, a soil that will take these words and bear much fruit. Uh, so, Lord, I thank you for these students that are hungry for you, and I just set apart Korea University for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if you guys have your Bible with you, turn to Genesis 22. 
I'm going to read the first half of the chapter with you guys, okay? So Genesis 22, uh, and I'm first going to read uh, verses 1 through 3. Do you guys have it with you? Yeah? All right, let, let me read it out for you. Just listen. Um, it says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now, let me give you guys a background story, okay? If you guys grew up in church, you'll be very familiar with this story. This is a very popular story. But basically, we have Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And uh, Sarah was barren for many, many years. And finally, God gave Abraham a promise saying, hey, through you will come multitudes. Through you, I will give you nations. And it's going to be through your offspring specifically that you will have all these generations that will come after you. And, you know, Abraham took it in faith that will happen even though he was very old and his wife was very old, but they took it in faith. And sure enough, uh, a son named Isaac was born to them at the age of 100. So when Abraham was a hundred years old, he had his first son. Okay. Um, so God, God's so good. You know, God, God gave this wonderful promise. And then after that promise, he gave his son Isaac. But if you look at this chapter, it begins with God saying to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your son that you love. And I want you to come and sacrifice him. Now, when I like read chapters like this, I get mad confused. So I'm like, what? God, didn't you bless Abraham with this son? Why would you ask him to sacrifice a promise that you gave? Right? Um, and I don't know about you guys, but I had many promises that God gave me as I kept growing up. And one of them that stands out really clearly was when I went um, on a mission trip to Malaysia. This was like 2011. And um, at that time, I was like, I graduated like college and I was like throughout college and then especially after college, I kept asking God, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And I think that's a big question that college people have, right? What do you want me to do with my life? God, give me my calling, reveal to me my calling. I just kept saying that and praying that and after a while I got exhausted uh, so I just went on a mission trip. And then within that mission trip, um, the team preacher asked me to share my testimony. Now, um, back then, like, I'm, I'm speaking here. I may seem confident. I may seem very secure. Uh, but back then, I was really shy, right? So when the team preacher asked me to share my testimony, I was eating food. And I said, <coughs> what? Are you serious? <laughs> like, are you serious? You know, and... He made me do it. So I went up there and then I shared my testimony. And um, as soon as I grabbed the mic, like even before I began, as soon as I grabbed the mic to share my testimony, I heard God say to me very clearly, like so clear. I was like, like, did someone speak to me? It was like that clear. He said, Anna, get used to this. 
And I immediately freaked out. I said, what, what do you mean? Get used to it. doesn't mean I'm going to be, what does that mean? You know? Um, but I saw people in front of me, so I had to share my testimony. And then uh, I just kind of went along. But that, that kind of, you know, what happened, it never left me. Um, and then that next year, I actually ended up going to a church plant, uh, Busan Church Plant which is, Busan is the second largest city in Korea. You guys should go there. It's very beautiful. Uh, but I went there to like help to start a church. And uh, because I was going there for ministry and God gave me this very strong word, Anna, get used to it. Um, I kind of connected dots and I figured that, oh, maybe I'm going to start preaching more. God, do you want to be, do you want me to be a pastor? No way. <laughs> Right? Like, that's my thought process, how it happened. Um, and I was expecting to, like, kind of get on the stage and, like, lead prayer like David did and all of these things. Uh, but within a couple months of being in Busan, my campus uh, pastor sat me down and he looked at me. He said, Anna, I want you to be the service team leader. And I looked at him and I said, are you serious? Because I don't know if you guys know what service team is, but service team are, is, are, are the people that basically pick up trash around the church. They're the first ones to come in and they're the last ones to leave because they're readying the church. They're picking up all the bulletins, all the trash, everyone left everywhere, you know. Um, and we clean up the church. We take out the trash. We separate it, all of that. And basically service team means that you're in the background. You're in like the shadows, you know, but God gave me this word. I'm going to be using the mic. And I, I was so confused. Like it really like boggled my mind. And within that first year, I actually didn't do anything like on stage. Um, and remember, this is the, the year that I'm crying out for my calling. God revealed to me what my calling is, what you want me to do. And within that first year, I, didn't get to do anything, and I started to be very confused, but I also started to doubt what God told me. Um, and the first key that you must have if you want to be continuously transformed is, number one, you have to trust in God's character. You have to trust that God is good, always. And you have to trust that God is good to you. You know, we sang that song earlier. God is so good to me. But do you guys believe it? God is maybe good to this person. Oh, God is definitely good to her. She's like so smart and people love her. God is definitely good to her. But do you believe that God is good to you? Not just good to KU and Emmaus, but God is specifically, individually good to you. You know what happens when you start doubting that God is good? You become offended at God. You think that he forgot you. And when you begin to think that God forgot you, you go off on your way and you start to make life happen on your own. And in essence, what you're doing is you're saying, God I don't believe in you anymore. I don't need you anymore. Let me go in my own way. And you forfeit the sovereignty of God by trying to manipulate things in your life. And the thing is, that's very dangerous. It's the same thing as uh, toddlers or babies saying, Mom, I don't need you to feed me anymore. I don't need those vegetables. I, let me just eat this chicken right here. 
Let me just eat this cheese right here. And that's the only thing they eat again and again. And all of that's okay at the moment. But pretty soon after a couple years, those malfunctions start to happen. It starts to show later on down the road. So when you make that choice of God, I don't, I don't believe that you're good to me. It's dangerous because it doesn't start to show immediately, but it starts to show later. If people start eating unhealthily, eventually they get heart attacks, they get high blood pressures, uh, they get, you know, their body parts stop working later on. But what happens when you trust that God is always good to you? You become teachable, you become moldable, you become humble. And you're saying, God, I really don't understand what's going on, but I'm going to believe that you eventually work things around for my own good. You know, when I became service team uh, leader, it was really hard in the beginning because um, I'm the oldest out of three kids, so I bossed around my younger siblings a lot. <laughs> so I would say, hey, hey, give me a drink. Hey, hey, answer this phone. You know, like I, I bossed them around a lot. So this nature, this character in me was basically like very bossy, okay? So when I became service team leader, I eventually learned how to be servant-like. I started picking up things after people without complaining. I, I started uh, learning how to serve without wanting attention. Um, I, I came in early. I, I was the last one to leave just because I loved serving after a while. It, it wasn't true in the beginning, trust me. But later on, my heart started growing for God and for the people as I, I started worshiping and serve, serving God in this way, you know? And I realized that, man, like I'm standing here as a pastor now, but I never would have imagined I would be a pastor early on. And it's hard. There are times when it's hard, but that time of being hidden, that time of developing character and that time of, of working in, in your personality, all of that was needed in order for God to reveal my, his calling for me later on, right? So I realized that God just has a divine plan. And when those things happen without you doubting the essence of who God is, that God is good, then everything will be added to your benefit. Um, I want to keep reading from Genesis 22. From 4 to 8, it says, On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father... And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. What also happens when you trust that God is good to you is that you start obeying quickly. It says here that Abraham went the next morning with Isaac after he heard what God told him. He didn't delay. He didn't say, oh, let me have my lunch and then let me go, right? But he rose early in the morning and then he went with his son and went immediately. So Abraham, who is known to be 
a father of faith, was one that trusted in God. And because he trusted that God was good, he went very quickly with his son to obey God's word. And, you know, that that journey was not a very short journey. It says in verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes. It took three days to get to this mountain. And when he went, as he was going, there was so much opportunity for him to say, I'm done. I'm going to leave. No, no, no. I think I heard God wrong. I'm going to turn around. You know, there are times when I would drive to a prayer meeting and I was tired and I would turn my car back around. I'm like, "Ah, I'm I'm tired. I don't want to do this, right? There were times when I wasn't hungry enough to go because it's just on the way there, I just got made a detour, you know? But Abraham, who is a father of faith, continuously, steadfastly, went to obey God's command. And he, who is known as a father of faith, okay, this verse really tripped me out. Um, It says in verse 5, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Okay? That's the ESV version. The NLT version says, Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. I don't know if you guys caught that, but it says, we will travel, we will worship there, and then we will come back. Not, I will come back, but we will come back. And just by that simple statement alone, Abraham is signifying the faith that he has in God by saying, hey, I don't know what's going to happen. I know God asked me to sacrifice my son, but whether he raises Isaac back from the dead, whatever he does, I'm going to take it in faith that both my son and I, whom I love, we will both return back to this place. Not just me, but we will do it together. And somehow, even before anything happened, Abraham spoke with words of faith, declaring, we will come back here. You know, so the first thing that needs to happen as you meet God and you want to grow to be a man that holds respect or to be a person that walks in integrity is to be continually, continuously transformed by trusting in God's character. And the second thing that you need to do is Know God's promises. You know, when you know God's promises, it's way easier to trust God's character. Don't you agree? When you know someone, you know who they are and how they act and what they value. Isn't it easier to trust them? For me, when I I know who God is and what he says he will do, the promises that he gives me that are written in, in this word, basically, I'm saying, hey, Because I see it here, and because I've seen your promises come to life, I trust in you. It is easier to trust in you. And the best way to um, know what God says about his promises is through the written word of God. And this is the written word of God. And we're studying here at seminary. I think you guys all know that basically this Bible, this everything that's written here, cannot hold anything that is false. There is no error in it. That means God cannot speak falsely. So that means everything that he writes here, he will complete. So I want to read to you some of these promises that I hold on to for my life. 
Okay, so if you guys want to write it down and you want to like read it through for your life, go ahead. But basically, I'm going to run through just a couple of the promises that God writes throughout this book. Okay, Romans 8.24 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work for good for those who are called according to his purpose. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So this is a promise I hold on to whenever I feel like I'm stuck. Things are getting boring. Things are getting mundane. I hold on to this promise by saying, No, God, you take us from glory to glory to glory to glory. Philippians 4.19 And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. In glory in Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians twelve nine says, My grace is sufficient for you. Proverbs ten thirty, the righteous will never go hungry. Deuteronomy twenty eight thirteen, he makes me the head and not the tail, lender and not the borrower. First Corinthians one fifty seven, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm thirty four ten, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord Lack no good thing. Psalm 34, 4 through 6, those who look to him will never be put to shame. And these are the verses and the promises that I hold on to. When my circumstance tells me otherwise, that things are going wrong, hey, your finances are going down, hey, are you, are you sure you made the right decision because it looks to you like this is going to stop your life and you're not going to progress anymore, I hold on to these promises because it's telling me I will never go hungry even if I have like $5 in my bank account. Hey, Glory to glory, God is taking you. Hey, the choices that you make right now, other people might say, are you sure that's what you want to do? But God says here, he's going to work everything for my own good. God is going to make me the lender and not the borrower. God is going to provide for me every need. And when I look to him, I will never be put to shame. These are the promises that I hold on to. And as I hold on to these promises, it's like I'm taking it and then pulling myself up. And that is how I continuously transform. Because without it, I can't look to anything else. If I look to anything else, it won't help me get up into a whole new level. But these are the promises that help me keep going up and up and up so that I can live a life pleasing to him. You know, there's this... uh, in Romans 14, 11, there's just one, one promise that I really want to, I guess, magnify to you just to show how true God is to his own word. Romans 14, 11 says, For the scriptures say, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess to God. And this is not just a scripture, but a promise that God gives. And um, I know that as we live in uh, Korea and, you know, as we go about our own various lives, it's very easy to kind of tunnel in into our everyday, like, everyday common life, right? But I want to tell you a story that really magnifies what God does and how he works just so the word of God comes to life, okay? So um, I read a story about... um, a tribe in Burma, and this was called the Karen tribe, and it had about 3 million people in it. And in these uh, specific tribe all around Burma, um, they, they had 
a prophecy that was given to them for centuries of years um, that said, now this prophecy is very strange, okay, but this was apparently what was going on. Like, this is written in their history. Um, but basically, they, their prophecy was, a white man will come with a book, and this book will teach them the way of life. And this book will contain the knowings of a God named Yahweh. Okay, that, that, that was the prophecy given to the ancient people of tribes all around Burma. Okay, um, so for centuries of years, these people are waiting for a white man to come with a book. Now, when I read uh, this story, I was like, what? How can this happen? Like, a God named Yahweh, you know, like it's very obvious what, what this book is referring to. But for centuries of years, they waited for a white man to come with this book. And they even prepared to the point of building houses just in case this man came anytime. So they were constantly waiting for this person to come. And years and years and years went by without people seeing this prophecy fulfilled. Still, they waited for this prophecy because this prophecy was so dear to them and they knew that it was true. And uh, there were different teachings about this Yahweh. This Yahweh hates it when you worship other gods. So you must never worship other gods except for Yahweh. Sound familiar? Yeah? And you must be kind to your parents. You must love one another. And Yahweh loves talking with you. So you must pray to him day and night. Does that sound very familiar? So this was all the teachings and the prophecy about this book named Yahweh. Now, there was a guy named Adonirim Judson, and he was a missionary to Burma. And he initially went to Burma in 1817 to evangelize to Buddhists uh, Buddhist in Burma. So what he would do is he would dress up like the Buddhists uh, and then go over there and then try to convert them. But the Buddhists were very devoted and they only stuck to their religion. And these Buddhists, they tried to evangelize to the different tribes in Burma, but they were so stuck on this prophecy that the uh, Buddhists rarely saw any conversion. Um, so this white man, Justin, okay, he went and he was trying to convert all of these Buddhists, but nothing was happening. So after seven years, he finally found one convert. And within that time, he was so like hopeless and like bored and he had so much time that he ended up actually translating all of the Bible into uh, the Burma language. So within seven years, he just kept translating because he honestly had nothing to do. Um, and then one day, this guy came uh, to work at his house and uh, Justin agreed to work, like have him be like their servant, their housekeeper, because he needed to make money, right? But they knew that they were taking this man out of a cherry case because he was really angry. Like he had violent tantrum. Um, and he was known to be a robber. And people say that he killed about 30 people when he was a robber. So because they were Christians, they decided to take him in. And after a while, they Judson uh, evangelized the gospel to him. And then he was like, yeah, no, no, right? But then all of a sudden, he was like, wait, can you tell me more about this book? And then he made this connection. Like, you're telling me about this book and you are white. <laughs> and, you know, he made, he made that connection. And all of a sudden, he started 
like it, he said, as if his mind was awakened to the truth. And he started going after the Bible. And that's when he accepted Christ. And his name is, I don't want to butcher it, is Ko Thabu. <laughs> his name is Ko Thabu. And he's actually known as the Karen Apostle. Because he was the first person to recognize what the gospel is. And then he took that gospel. He went with another missionary. And they went to the tribe. And he said, this is the prophecy that you've been waiting for. And this missionary, Justin, who couldn't even find one convert in only seven years, actually took millions of people in that tribe and got them baptized because they were awaiting this prophecy. And when I read this story, I was so amazed because, man, you think that you're going there and doing God's work but nothing happens and we become frustrated. Like, God, what are you doing? How are you doing anything? Do you even care for me? Do you even love me? But yet we don't recognize that God has been working behind the scenes all along to prepare a people so that when the gospel comes at the most perfect time, they're able to eat it up rapidly. You know, within that year, 4,500 people got baptized in one tribe alone. And because Justin has so much time to translate that Bible, by the time the, uh, the tribe of Karen was uh, converted, he was able to present to them a ready Bible. So he was able to teach them right away. And when we see a God who is working in that very sovereign way, we realized right then, man, God, your timing is so much better than I thought. So the second step, the second key to continuously transform is to know God's promises. And the third, I want to read uh, Genesis 9 through 14. Now, this is the latter half of the passage that I want to read with you guys. It says, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son your only son for me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And just like that story of the Karen tribe of how God's not only been working a little while, but he's been working centuries after centuries to, to ready the people for the gospel. We have here Abraham who went up with his son Isaac, obeying God's command in which it seemed cruel and confusing. But Abraham still went up in faith saying, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to trust in you. I'm not going to doubt who you are, the very essence of who you are, which is that you are good. 
You have fulfilled your promises to me in the past, so I know that you are good to me. And he went up in faith, and the entire time, Abraham had this heart of, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to obey God. My, my fear of disobeying God is greater than actually obeying him, you know? So he went up with this heart of surrender, with this heart of trust, But Abraham did not know that the entire time he was going up with his son, the other side of the mountain, the lamb was also going up. So that right when Abraham went in that place to obey God's command, right then the lamb was there at the most perfect timing, caught in the thicket saying, this is the lamb that you shall use for the sacrifice. Not your son, but this lamb, as I've seen you, you were willing to obey and I have been ready to send my promise instead of your son because I see that your heart is to fear and to love me. It says here that the Lord will provide and that's the name that uh, Abraham named the mountain. And uh, the common Hebrew translation for that is Jehovah Jireh. Everyone say Jehovah Jireh. Do you guys hear that before? Yeah, so a lot of people translate Jehovah Jireh as God will provide. But the root word of Jireh in Hebrew is actually Ra'ah. Everyone say Ra'ah. So that's the Hebrew root word of Jireh. And Ra'ah means not provide, but it means to see. To see. So literally, we can translate The Lord will see. Because the Lord sees you, he knows exactly where you are and what you have to go through and what you have to surrender, what kind of emotions and questions that you're going through. God sees that. And when he also sees your heart to trust and to obey, God will provide for you. The Hebrew word, the construction of this Hebrew word, ra'ah, it means to look out for, to see it and to provide. So when God is saying, hey, the Lord provides for you, it's actually saying God sees you. And because he sees what you're going through, he will provide in every way, whether it may be finances, whether it may be emotionally, he will meet you because he sees you. And the mountain named Moriah was actually uh, the place where Solomon built his temple. So hundreds of years later, uh, Solomon built the temple of God for the first time on this mountain. And Abraham did not name this mountain the place of great surrender. The place of death. You know, like he he didn't name that mountain those morbid names or he didn't name those mountains a place of great trial, you know, great testing. But what did he name it? The place where Lord will provide. And this signifies the faithfulness of Abraham because he says, hey, I can look at what I had to go through, how like excruciating it was for me to actually think about sacrificing my son. But instead of that, I'm going to look to God and see where his faithfulness was. And as he named that place, this is the mountain where God will provide. Solomon was able to take that mountain and name it and build a temple of God there in that exact same place. 
And this temple of God is actually where the presence of God is. The, the spirit of God. Where God encounters his people. And that exact place where it was Abraham's greatest surrender, it was actually a place of encounter for generations to come. You know, um, I feel like there's going to be times in your life when there's, you know, when, with new levels, there's going to be greater and greater things that um, you're going to have to do in order to encounter God, right? Uh, God shows you more and more of his spirit. And with that, it's harder and it's also easier. There's, it's this oxymoron, right? Um, one of, I felt like the greatest place that God was asking me to surrender uh, was to leave behind um, my city here in Seoul and to go to Busan for that church plant. And within that time, I just graduated college. So it was really hard for me to leave my friends and to leave my life here and to walk away from a place that I called home. But I took it in faith. God, I really don't understand why I have to go to this backward city in Busan. And... And, and go there and just kind of live there. There's nothing there, you know? And I went there, and I was angry at first, but I, I kept getting reminded of, God, I trust in you. I don't understand how I left behind everything, my job, my friends, and uh, all of these things, but I trust in you. And as I kept going, God kept revealing to me more and more of his spirit. That is the place where I encountered God. That's the place where I got my calling. And not because I kept praying for it again and again, but just because I walked in relationship with him. A couple uh, feet away from Mount Moriah is Mount Calvary, which is the mountain where Jesus was crucified. And in that place, Jesus died for our sins instead of, that, uh, instead of us. And he died for our selfishness, our sinful nature our hopelessness, our discouragement, our anger, our rage. And that is a type of God that died for us. But the thing is, the gospel does not end there. Jesus is one that was resurrected after three days. And he is the one that was raised to life for us. Instead of our anger, he raised to life for us our joy. He raised to life for us our hope. He raised to life for us joy and peace and love so that we can continue to grow in relationship with him. Jesus has resurrection power and he doesn't want you to just be done with a one-time encounter with him, but he wants you to be continuously encountering him. You know, I came here about one year ago, not really, less than a year ago, and I see some people here that were not the same people that they were when I came here last year. People like Stella and Rose and Jason, who when I first saw them, quiet and timid and really shy. But one year later, I see them, and they're so confident. They carry this knowing that, hey, this is who God calls me to be, and I'm confident. 
And then I see them interacting with different students, and I see that the words that they speak carry weight, and people respect them. And in just one year, I'm seeing such transformation from students here. But imagine if you keep on continuously beating God again and again. You know, when we try to take life in our own hands, we can go so far. And it can be great. It can be fun. And don't get me wrong, I've tried that. I've definitely tried that where I just try to go my own way. But man, I got only so far. But it was only through my surrender of saying, God, I need you. I can't do this. I can't do this. This is so overwhelming. This is so boring. This is not fun. That God started to meet me. And I realized life is meant to be vibrant. Life is meant to be colorful. It's meant to be exciting. It's meant to be adventurous. You're meant to grow in in personality and in character. You're meant to influence those around you. You're meant to succeed in life. Also, that Christ may be glorified. And if you are, are hungry to live a life like that, it's only through a relationship with God. By trusting in God's character and by knowing his promises and also declaring with your own mouth, this is the place where I will worship God. And this is the place where I will declare and sing that God is good to me. So your voice is powerful. What you say now can affect generations after you. So start declaring with your mouth what you believe God is saying to you. I want us to close in prayer.